repent. What a wonderful time of worship this morning. I like all those songs, but don't you like that wonderful Savior? Man, isn't that a great song? Is that what it is? Wonderful, wonderful maker, wonderful Savior? It's a great song. An age-old question that's been debated by philosophers, written about by poets, sung about by musicians, and pondered by people for centuries is this question right here. What is the meaning of life? What's this life for? Why are we here? Many have attempted to answer this question in in a number of ways. For example, some say the meaning of life is love. To have love, to be loved, having someone to love, whether that's your parents, whether that's a husband or a wife, children, friends. The purpose of life is just to love and to be loved. Some people say the purpose of life is success. To make a name for yourself in whatever you do. Being successful, whether that be in school or in the workplace or in academics or, or, in, uh, or in sports, it's to be successful. Some say the purpose in life is to be happy. Listen to this quote by Herman Cain. <clears throat> he said, success is not the key to happiness. Happiness is the key to success. And many believe this. Many believe happiness is the key. Some say the purpose in life is just to make this world a better place. To use what you've been given to improve your surroundings. That's kind of what the song Reach Out and Touch is getting at. Reach out and touch somebody's hand. What does it say? Make this world a better place. If you can, that's right. Some believe that's the key, just making this world a better place. There are others who believe that there really is no deep meaning in human life. You just have to go out and, and, and create meaning, even though there isn't any. And some would say what I think to be significant and what you think to be significant may be two completely different things. But it doesn't matter because there is no deep meaning in human life. Life is just what you make it. And today the debate goes on, doesn't it? For the next few months, what we're going to be doing is we are going to be discussing and answering this age-old question in a sermon series I've entitled Lessons Learned Under the Sun, which is taken from the book of Ecclesiastes. So what we're going to do... For the next <clears throat> endless amount of weeks till we finish it, I can't give you a definite number yet. I'm not finished with it. But uh, what we're going to do is we're going to go chapter by chapter through the book of Ecclesiastes to look at this age-old question. Now, this morning what I want to do briefly before we get into this book is just look at some background about the book. Just introduce the book this morning. And look at the first few verses, which are going to uh, kind of show us, give us a good idea of where this book is going to to take us, all right? So let's begin just by looking at a little bit of the background of Ecclesiastes. 
I believe that Solomon wrote it. Now, this is debated, but I believe chapter 1, verse 1 makes him a, a likely candidate. It says here in Ecclesiastes 1, the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. I think that makes Solomon a pretty good candidate, don't you, don't you for writing it? So I believe Solomon wrote it, but, but in order for us to get a better insight on the book, we need to look at a little bit of the background of, sorry, giving you uh, too much too soon, the background of Solomon, all right? Solomon's life is recorded in the first 11 chapters of 1 Kings. And of all of David's sons, for he had many, is what he said, Solomon is chosen to be king. And we're told that, that not only was Solomon favored by his father, he was also favored by God, wasn't he? In fact, Nathan the prophet called him Jedidiah, which means beloved of the Lord. And because God loved Solomon, he loved him so much he came to him and asked Solomon this. Whatever you want, I'm going to give it to you. He gave him this option. Could you imagine that be given to you? We may not answer the way Solomon did. But he said, whatever you want, I'm going to give it to you. And, and in response, Solomon asked for wisdom. And the reason he asked for wisdom is because he wanted to know the heart and the mind of God better so he could rule God's people well. And we're told that God was so pleased with Solomon's request that he said, though you didn't ask for power, I'm going to give it to you. And though you didn't ask for wealth, I'm going to give you that as well. And I'm also, if you follow me, I'm going to grant you health and a long life. And on top of all that, I'm going to give you wisdom. So Solomon becomes one of great power, prestige, health, wealth, and wisdom. Let's look at these a little bit closer. Number one, Solomon had power. He had power. First Chronicles 28.5 says this. You don't have to turn there. I'll, uh, you can just write down the reference here. He says, And of all my sons, for the Lord has given me many sons, <clears throat> he has chosen Solomon, my son, to sit on the throne of the kingdom of the Lord over Israel. So Solomon had power. He also had fame. We're told that people came from all around to hear from Solomon. He was the talk of the known world. So Solomon had fame. Solomon also had money. Solomon ruled during the golden age of Israel. The magnificence and splendor of Solomon's court is unrivaled. He had vast stores of wealth. In fact, we're told that ships came over on a regular basis bringing him gold. He was wealthy. He had women. He did. 700 wives. That, I, you're kind of questioning that wisdom thing, aren't you, a little bit? <clears throat> 300 concubines. Now, they got him in trouble, which you can imagine that probably would happen. 
especially one he married from another nation who turned him away from God. So they caused him a little bit of trouble, but Solomon had women. And he had wisdom. God gave Solomon wisdom that is unparalleled in human history. He was the wisest man to ever live outside of Jesus Christ. He studied numerous subjects and wrote three books in the Old Testament we know about. The the book of Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and the Song of Solomon. And people came from all around to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Listen to 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 32 through 34. Solomon spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were 1,005. He spoke of trees from the cedar that is in Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of the wall. He spoke also of beasts and of birds and of reptiles and of fish. And, and people of all nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon and from all the kings of the earth who heard of his wisdom. So Solomon had wisdom, didn't he? Basically, he had it all, didn't he? Solomon had it all. And he experienced it all. And here in this book, he writes about it all. So let's talk a little bit about the reason Solomon wrote this book. Let's look at his reason behind writing the book of Ecclesiastes. To understand why the book of Ecclesiastes is written, we really need to go back to the beginning. To the first book of the Bible, and really, if we're honest... All books of the Scripture can be tied back to the beginning, right? But especially this one. And you know Genesis, it's the book of beginnings, right? It's where everything begins. In Genesis, we find that there is one God, and this God has existed without beginning or end. He is eternal, He is loving, and He is good. And this God... We learn from the book, knit together all of creation, and he called it good. And not only that, this God knit together man and woman, and God said that this union is very good. Something happened, right? What happened was our first parents, Adam and Eve, decided they were going to make choices not in accordance with God's will and his word. In a sense, they became very proud and arrogant because they thought that there was wisdom to be had and a life to be lived apart from God. So they rebelled against Him. And what happened as a result of that rebellion is this world became crooked. Death entered into the equation. Frustration set in. And everything was just tangled up into this crooked mess which explains the condition of our world today. And in the middle of that, what God did was He laid out a series of curses upon man and upon woman that's still on us today, isn't it? You see, the way it was meant to happen was this. You and I were were meant to rule over and steward over God's creation, and God was meant to steward over and rule over us. And when we became rebellious and unruly, what God did was He caused creation that was underneath us to become rebellious and unruly toward us. 
And that's where we find ourselves today, so frustrated at times with this life. We become as frustrated with our life as God is with us. Now, why did God do this? Because he hates us? No. It's because he loves us. You see, God wanted us to become so frustrated with life that we come to the point where we just throw up our hands and say, what is going on? What is the point in all this? You ever get frustrated with life? You ever think about the fact that you're getting pretty close to being biblical when you're frustrated? You are. See, God set up the world in that way so that we would become so frustrated with life that we would get to the point where we're so frustrated that we might cry out to Him. Solomon addresses the frustrations in this book. Now, what makes Solomon an expert? We've kind of already talked about that, haven't we? He had it all. He experienced it all. He lived life under the sun to the fullest and made a lot of mistakes along the way and came out on the other end with some answers for us. My guess is, I know that there are many in our world, but there are, there are probably many in this room doing the same thing that Solomon did. Trying to find joy and lasting satisfaction in this life only. Living it up under the sun. Listen, we have one of the most wise and prosperous men to ever live calling for our attention in this book saying listen i have been there i've done that i've got a t-shirt to show for it and i've got some answers for for you who are on this pursuit ecclesiastes is about the meaning of life and in it solomon raises questions the rest of the bible was written to answer why are we here? What's the point? In this sermon series, we're going to, to look to Solomon to help us answer this age-old question of the meaning of life. So with that being said, let's, let's begin our series. And uh, let me start by asking you this question, and you don't have to raise your hand, uh, but just think about it. Just let me ask you this question. How many of you made New Year's resolutions to get in shape in 2011. How's that going for you? Still doing it, or are you kind of throwing your hands up and said, man, I'll, I'll get them next year? One year, I decided, uh, I made this decision that I was going to get back in shape. And because I've had a couple of back surgeries, uh, the doctor said that wasn't good for me to be running with all the ground and pound, uh, and so I needed to find a, a cardio workout with, with little to no impact. So I, uh, someone told me about an elliptical machine. Are you all familiar with an elliptical machine? Here, here's a picture of it up here. Yeah. Me and this thing aren't good friends. Um, but I, I joined the Y, and I began to work out on this elliptical machine. And day in, day out, Four to five, six times a week, I would get on that thing and just go to town. And I got pretty good at it. But you know how the story goes, right? After a while, it becomes a challenge, doesn't it? And the reason why, for me, 
Because it's boring. It's as boring as all get out. Like anything, you just stand in one place and do for 30 minutes of an hour out of your day. It's a challenge. Can anybody relate with me on this? Anybody have exercise equipment in your home that are either in your garage covered in cobwebs or in your guest bedroom covered in clothes? We can relate, right? We just get worn down by the monotony of it, don't we? And I'd torture myself. I'd put the clock on, you know? It's a big clock right here. Counting looked like it was going backwards at times. I, you know, I think, man, I've been on here like 20 minutes, surely. It's like three or four minutes in. Oh, man, it was brutal. And I'd get done, having gone miles and miles, not moving an inch forward or an inch backward, and just get beat down by it. It's laborious. It's monotonous. And I think that's what keeps us a lot of times from working out over a long period of time. You know what really got me? I could have the best workout. I could just be drenched in sweat. Go home and get cleaned up. Get ready to eat dinner. Just be feeling good about myself, you know. And then it dawned on me. I got to do it all again tomorrow. And the next day, and the next week, and the next month, and the next year, until I die. If I want to stay in shape, that is. Life is like an elliptical machine. It's laborious. It's monotonous. It's flat out boring at times. And you know what? It has to be lived day in and day out. Someone once said that the toughest part about life is that it's daily. Day in, day out, we have to live this thing called life, which drives many of us to ask the question, what is the point in it all? Solomon's going to answer that question for us this morning. And let me just warn you, you may not like what he has to say. But he gives us the honest truth. And you know what? The Bible is honest, isn't it? There are times when the Bible just gives us the cold, hard facts of life. Not every Bible verse reads like a day spring card, does it? Doesn't. So let's look at at Ecclesiastes 1. Please turn there if you haven't already. Like I said, Solomon, I believe Solomon wrote the book. And uh, he's, a, he's a fascinating human being. He's like a cross between Albert Einstein, Hugh Hefner, because of the women, of course, Bill Gates, and Gandhi. And you would think, with all he had and with all he experienced, what is going to come next from Solomon is this New York Times best-selling book. I mean, with what we know about Solomon, we're thinking what's coming next is, is this Tony Robbins-ish kind of book on the seven effective uh, marks of a king. I mean, you think we're going to hear how to live life to the fullest? How to get rich quick? How to become popular? How to be an influencer? At the very least, that life is good. Surely from a man who had it all, we're going to get that. In verse 2, Solomon gives us the theme of the book. He's going to sum up everything in this verse right here. And here is the lesson 
learned under the sun. The main lesson learned he gives here in verse 2. Life under the sun is Havel. Clear as mud? Life under the sun is Havel. Now, before I get into explaining that Hebrew word and why on earth I put it in a sermon point, and don't worry, I'm not going to get in the habit of doing this, but it's key here. Before I explain that, let's look at verse 2 real quickly. Life under the sun is Havel. Here, here's, here's chapter 1, verse 2. Solomon says, Vanity of vanities. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. Now, if Solomon's taking a course on, on sermon delivery, he may not get a good grade on this in, introduction. I mean, here he breaks several fundamental rules of preaching here. Solomon doesn't whet anyone's appetite. He doesn't address felt needs. He doesn't engage his congregation. He starts right here up front saying, this whole world is a mess. How about that for a beginning of a sermon? He basically says, if you're looking for meaning and purpose and lasting satisfaction in this life only, you might as well hang it up. Because all is vanity. In other translations, it uses the word meaningless. Like I said, sometimes the Bible just gives us the cold, hard facts, doesn't it? Not every verse reads like a verse you'd see on a calendar with the sunset. Could you imagine having a calendar that's like July, and you have a sunset on there, and then this verse underneath it, all is meaningless. Can you imagine that? Those wouldn't sell very well, would they? But sometimes the Bible just gives us the cold, hard facts. And though this verse, to an extent, is discouraging and disillusioning, it's the truth. Solomon tells us right here in this verse, I've seen it all, I've experienced it all, if anyone ever has, and I've been there, done that, and I conclude, I'm telling you right now, all is meaningless. Now, even though that message is a bit discouraging, and even though at times the Bible gives us the cold, hard facts, let's be honest, we, we like the truth, don't we? Don't you appreciate honesty? even though it's, at times it's difficult to hear? Do you want to know what the Bible really teaches? Or do you just want verses on calendars with sunsets? A while back, I had a movie that I really wanted to see. You know, my, my, my thought on it is, you can make any movie look good in a preview. If you can't, you shouldn't go see it. If they can't pull out a few clips that are good, you know, and this movie had a lot of good clips in the previews. And I was excited about going to see it. And I had a friend tell me, you know, you plan on going to see that movie? Yeah, well, let me just tell you. I'm like, just tell me, how was it? He said, not only was it not as good as the preview, it was, it was terrible. The storyline was ridiculous. The acting was awful. He said, I can't even believe somebody signed off to have that movie made. And even though it, it, it upset me a little bit because I really wanted to go see that movie, deep down I appreciated it. And I had, didn't go spend $10 on, on a flop. This is what Solomon's doing right here. He's giving us the cold, hard facts of life in hopes that we will hear it and turn and abandon this pursuit and go at life differently. Solomon sets the tone for the book right here. He's basically 
saying, I, I'm going to give you the truth about life. All of life is Havel. Now let's explain that Hebrew word. Solomon uses a particular word here translated vanity or vanities. Now here's the problem with that word. The word vanity is not the best rendering of that particular word. It was translated by the King, King James folks, King James Bible back in the 1600s. And the Old English meaning of the word vanity is different from what we have today. We define vanity today as someone who's arrogant, someone who is consumed with himself or herself, but that's not what Solomon is getting at here. The, the word for vanity used here is the Hebrew word hevel. Now that word is going to become very, very important to both you and me as we learn, as we uh, study through Ecclesiastes, because it's used 38 times in this book. And it's used five times in this one verse. Now, you don't have to be a Hebrew scholar to know if a word's used five times in one verse, the author is trying to make a point, isn't he? So what does that word mean? Here's where the problem lies. It means a number of things. When you're translating Havel, you can't just use one word. Though it means meaningless and though it means vanity, the old meaning of the word, it means much more than that. That word Havel means absurd, dissatisfying, futile, deceitful, transient, fleeting, temporary, short-lived. It means all of those things. So when you're talking about life under the sun, Solomon's making the point life is all of those things. We have to allow this word to have a much broader definition. So in verse 2, he's saying something more than just life is meaningless times five. He's saying life is the ultimate Havel. It's the ultimate level of Havel. Life is ultimately meaningless, ultimately futile, ultimately absurd, ultimately dissatisfying and short-lived. Now, because that's the case, we got a question we need to ask, don't we? What are we to do? How are we to think? Solomon asks a similar question in verse 3. He says, what does man gain by all his toil that he toils under the sun? Solomon's saying this, and I know you're thinking this. If that's the case, if all of life is Havel, what is the purpose I'm putting forth? Why am I going to work? Why am I going to school? Why am I paying my bills? What's the point? And this question here that Solomon asks is rhetorical. And it requires a negative answer so I can answer it. There is no advantage. There is no advantage to you because in the end, we die. Boy, does that lift your spirits or what? This is depressing, isn't it? It can be almost overwhelming when we're considering the perspective of Solomon here. Now, before y'all leave right now for the exits, go home, get a big tub of ice cream and a feel-good movie to get you over this morning's sermon, I want to point out a key phrase at the end of verse 3. Under the sun. Now, I just told you earlier, Havel is the most important word in the book of Ecclesiastes. This phrase is the most important phrase in the book. 
used 29 times. And you're going to hear me use it even more than Solomon uses it. And it's the title of our, of our sermon series. <clears throat> under the sun. When Solomon says, under the sun, what he's talking about here is life under heaven. Solomon is saying here, when he uses this phrase, he is giving a horizontal and limited perspective on life. He's looking solely at life on this earth. No revelation, no God breaking in, no God revealing anything, no God speaking, just life on this earth. If you looked at life under the sun and said, why do I work so hard, then die, what's the point of it? Solomon's going to say here, there is no profit, there is no benefit, and there is no gain under the sun. And that's his perspective on life without God. Let's be honest, we, we can relate, can't we? Think about your life. Day in, day out, we get up. We get dressed. If you're like me, you grab a breakfast bar and a coffee to go. You go and you, you work like crazy, eight hours a day, maybe nine, ten. You take an hour break, you get home, you eat dinner. If you have kids, you wrestle to get the kids to bed. You watch your favorite movie, go to sleep, wake up and do it all again the next day. Day in and day out, year in and year out, it could be laborious, it could be monotonous, and that's what life looks like under the sun. Solomon says, I can relate. I was there, I did it. You ever feel the burden of Solomon? I do. Feel the emptiness sometimes and the purposelessness of certain things in this life and daily life? I do. I think we all could relate if we truly think about it. I used to take Ava to, to Petco to look at the animals. It's a poor man's zoo. And uh, she was too young to know. I'm like, hey, let's go to Petco. And uh, we go look at the animals. I know, don't, don't think bad of me. Uh, and uh, one thing we used to enjoy watching is the hamster. Any of y'all own hamsters in here? Anybody? Well, don't, don't take offense at this. Because I, I think they're, they're fun to watch. But not very, not very impressive, though, are they? I mean, you know, they, they eat and they kind of make a mess. Make a noise, make noises and eat. And every now and again, they'll get in that little wheel and they'll run around and round and round. I mean, fun, kind of entertaining to watch at times, but not very impressive, are they? You ever thought about this? And excuse me if this sounds pretty silly. But what if a wise old hamster could watch our life? Could watch us go through that routine I just said. Get up. Get in the shower, eat dinner, run around at work all day, take an hour break, come home, wrestle the kids down, watch TV, our favorite show on TV, and go to bed and do it all again, day after day after day. That wise old hamster would probably be like, talk about boring. Talk about repetitious. Your life is it. That's humbling, isn't it? Solomon says, no matter how important your life may appear, it's ultimately fleeting and disappointing. Solomon wants us to understand this. And as I said at the beginning, God wants us to get this as well. He does. He wants us to feel the absolute emptiness of life without Him. 
He wants us to feel the weight of this life because then and only then will some turn to Him. I said earlier that the book of Ecclesiastes writes questions that the rest of the Bible was written to answer. And when you read the rest of the book of Ecclesiastes, you know what you find? The best way to live life under the sun is to live life in the sun. The best way to live life under the sun, S-U-N, is to live life in the sun, S-O-N. Scriptures are clear that there is purpose, there is meaning, there is significance in life, but it has to be lived in the sun. Jesus said this. He says, if we place our faith in Him, He will give us abundant life. He gives us an opportunity to make a difference in this life, doesn't he? If you look at verse 3 of chapter 1, that's the question every one of us has to answer. That's the question we all have to answer. In all of my work, in all of my pursuits, in all of my endeavors, what is the profit? You know what Solomon says? Under the sun, there is no advantage and there is no profit. You know what Jesus says? In me, there is advantage. There is profit. Solomon says, under the sun, there is no lasting satisfaction. You know what Jesus says? There is lasting satisfaction in me. Under the sun, Solomon says, life is tiresome. You know what Jesus says, Matthew 11? Come to me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Solomon says, ultimately, life under the sun is meaningless. You know what Jesus says? If you trust in me for your salvation, this short breath, this vapor of life will be extremely meaningful. The best way to live life under the sun is to live life in the sun. If you've never trusted in Christ alone for your salvation, according to the Word of God, without Him... Your life is ultimately futile. You may think it's meaningful, but the Bible says it's not because in the end, we die. That's just the cold, hard facts of life. And those things you work so hard for, you know what happens? Somebody else ends up enjoying them. That's the truth. But if you trust in Jesus for your salvation... Trust me when I say this. Your life will have profound meaning. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the reminder this morning that we need you. We need you, God. Forgive us for repeating the sin of Adam and Eve just just continuing to try to go at life without you, thinking that there is joy and lasting satisfaction apart from you. Forgive us for that, God. Father, we thank you that in the midst of this seemingly pointless and aimless existence, God, that you sent your Son, Christ, to come and to give us abundant life. 
We thank you that we have meaning and we have purpose and lasting satisfaction in you. God, if there's anyone here this morning who's going at life, who's trying to find lasting satisfaction without you, who are living it up under the sun, Father, I pray that you would take them to the end of themselves and show that there's no joy and lasting happiness in that. And I pray that you would draw them to you. I pray today would be the day of their salvation. In Jesus' name, amen.